0: Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, where we talk about everything and anything cannabis, trying to make sure we get you the right amount of information that you need to be able to navigate this space when you're making decisions for you and your family, especially when you're walking into some of these dispensaries around here and you don't have any idea of what you're looking for. We want to get you some information that will help to educate you to make a good choice for you and your family. And our guest today is just an incredibly wonderful guest that I know that a lot of you are going to find inspirational and really yeah, I'd be happy that we had him on here to talk to you today. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company that's called Hempogenics, which is a company that develops cutting-edge hemp and plant-based consumer products. He's also a patient advocate on the Broward County's Medical Marijuana Board. He's also become an activist. In Cannabis in order to fight the good fight and fight a fight for kids like his own daughter Rebecca who is severely Impaired with a neurologically impaired disorder and also suffers from multiple seizures per day He's joining us today here with his wife Danielle and their daughter uh, Rebecca who's here in the room with us and I can't say thanks a lot Seth Hyman for being here and being a part of Let's be blunt with Montel.
1: Thank you my Montel. It's my pleasure to be here uh, my hat's off to you for all the great work you've done over the years. always wanted to have this opportunity to sit down with you, and thank you for what you have done, Montel.
0: Oh, no, thank you, sir. And, you know, i got to tell you, one of the things that, that, you know, just so people at home understand, you know, we start these podcasts, sometimes we, you know, sit back and we have little conversations and talk a little bit before we actually start recording. And, you know, I was kind of moved a little bit with a couple of comments that you made before we started recording and I think I want you to share that with people make people understand you have a daughter who has suffered from maladies from birth
1: correct correct
0: yeah take us on that journey for just a second and make people understand and get a grip understanding what a family like yours has to go through
1: sure absolutely I appreciate that Uh, Rebecca had some during my wife's pregnancy there was some uh, signs of potential issues Uh, it had to do with the Growth of Rebecca's brain, and the doctor at the time said, Let's check back at the end of the pregnancy, let's see how things are turning out. If it turns out that things look normal, everything's fine. And sure enough, everything did turn out fine as far as her brain size, but unfortunately, we didn't learn until much later what actually uh, Rebecca was faced with, and that was when she was born, she started to have breathing issues uh, during um, feeding. She would start to turn blue. Her doctor said it's pretty normal for newborns. They have problems uh, feeding, breathing, swallowing. Don't worry about it. Uh, Many months later, she still had the same problem. She wasn't growing as fast as she should as a typical uh, infant. And we started to become very, very concerned. Uh, She eventually had to be put on a feeding tube, uh, which goes through your stomach. But no one gave us real answers. And finally, at month nine, we knew something was severely wrong. And we went to many physicians here in Florida. And one physician at a top hospital said, your daughter needs a tracheotomy. So imagine having a new infant being told you need a tracheotomy. And when we went to the physician, they said, if you don't get it within two weeks, your daughter could most likely die. Mm -hmm. So I seeked out for the best care for her and found some specialists in Boston. And um, it ended up that they, they did a bronchoscopy and they said, your daughter's airway is blocked 80%. Uh, they had to remove a cyst that was blocking it. And during that, they did genetic testing because the genetic testing that we did here in Florida came up negative. Nobody could find out what was wrong. And what we finally found out um, at about month nine or 10 was that she had a, has a severe genetic disorder called 1P, deletion syndrome. What that means is part of her number one chromosome is partially deleted. And because of it, um, children like Rebecca, many of them don't walk, Rebecca doesn't talk. She has neurological, visual, hearing impairments. She has a feeding tube. She needs 24-hour care. She didn't start having seizures until probably she was four years old. So even though we knew 80% of the children with her genetic disorder had seizures, we thought we would... We were, we were, thought you missed that one. We thought we missed that one. Gotcha. And then unfortunately, the seizures started coming on to the point where they were consuming her life. Hundreds of seizures a day.
0: And you know I mean? Let, let's stop for a second and explain as a parent
1: what that's like for you. So the one, thing, the one thing that I like to share and when I speak on this topic to parents who have healthy children, how blessed they are to have healthy children, imagine waking up and going into your child's bedroom and wondering whether or not the child is gonna be alive or dead in the morning. And that's what parents like us face. Thank God we have nurses watching her at night because she has seizures during the night, many during the night. And when you have seizures like Rebecca or any kind of seizure, if there's no intervention, the patient could go further into the seizure and ultimately die because they can't breathe. So intervention is key for someone to have a seizure. We have families, uh, friends of ours, who've lost their children from seizures at night. They wake up, they go to the child's bed in the morning, the child is is dead. So that's something that we live with every day now, even with nurses, Uh, we worry. Uh, There are many nights when we don't have nurses, and on those nights my wife is up all night she can't sleep because, God forbid, Rebecca has a seizure at the night. She has to intervene. So when I see people in the morning and I'm up 24-7 because my daughter had a rough night or I'm in the hospital till 5 a.m., people don't know what we've been through. And if there were cameras in our house and saw our life, the first thing people would say is, I, how do you do that right. every single day? If you knew what we went through two nights ago, you'd be like, does this happen often? Yes. Oh, my it happens often.
0: And now you went through a period of how many years? And I want to talk about cannabis intervention, but how many years did you go with Rebecca having these kinds of seizures before you actually said, you know what, let's try this thing that they're calling, what is it called? Charlotte's. Well, let's try this thing that they're talking about cannabis. How many years did you go from the onset of her seizures till finding some relief?
1: Probably four. Years. Four years. And this
0: is four years with your daughter having two to three hundred seizures a day.
1: Correct. And non-responsive to over 30 pharmaceuticals.
0: And I'm talking, you you went the gamut. Every pharmaceutical available
1: to man. Capra, topamax I mean, you name it. And the traditional pharmaceuticals, they either make her seizures worse or they either do nothing or they greatly affect her behavior to the point where uh, many children like Rebecca, they will... Their hand in their mouth, sort of like sucking a thumb to to soothe them, but they also do it out of frustration. She was doing out of frustration from the pharmaceuticals, where her skin would actually break and she would bleed. That's how much pharmaceuticals affected her. So to this, without
0: giving her the relief from the correct,
1: correct, and And the doctors say just just give it to her just so she takes it, even though it doesn't do anything.
0: You know, after a one hundred second disclosure, I have a daughter who uh, literally had adolescent onset epilepsy that, you know, unfortunately, you know, it took um, several years for them to diagnose because she would not have full grand mal seizures. She would have mini malls and she would have uh, auras. So, you know, people couldn't figure out what was going on. But then I understand, you know, having a child who has been medicated on every form of medication that there is and not get any
1: relief. Rebecca has all types of seizures, auras, myoclonic, tonic, you name it. Uh, imagine being presented with a, with a document at, your, at Rebecca's physician's office, her neurologist, and the neurologist says, y- if you want to take this medicine, you need, to, you need to sign this document. The document basically said it could potentially cause blindness right. or death. Right. We never signed it. We never went that route. Absolutely. So what
0: what introduced you to, and it's okay, and I, I know that you're tuning in or listening, you're probably hearing, Rebecca's having an issue right now, and, you know, this is what you live through all day long.
1: Correct. 24-7. And since Rebecca doesn't speak, the way she expresses herself verbally is through noises, mm-hmm. and some of these noises right now are a happy noise.
0: Got it. Got it. And I noticed you had said to me before, you don't have to take her out. I, honestly, she's not that, it's not, the noise is not disturbing anybody. And if it is, screw you. Exactly. No, I don't care. I could care less if anybody complains about her noise, honestly. And it's not, it's not so overbearing that we can't speak and you can't hear what we're right. saying.
1: And you can bring her in the shot whenever you want.
0: Absolutely. No, it it's, yep. I, I don't think that's a, that's necessary. There's people at home. You don't need to actually see Rebecca going through what she's going through, but let's understand. You just said she's communicating with you.
1: You know, Montel, I don't know if the, the listeners at home uh, could see what I see right now, but this is my life. You have go through this in your life, and I'm looking at you, Montel, and your eyes are just as watery as mine. Many few people could truly understand what we go through, what you've experienced in your life, what you experience daily in life with your medical challenges. Right. Nobody could understand unless they experience it. But well, you know,
0: but I mean... This is part of the reason why I even started this advocacy 20 years ago, because I really stepped up to the plate when I, when I was diagnosed myself with MS and realized that all the opioids that I had been put on, which back before we were even discussing opioid addiction in this country, I know I, was, uh, I had an opioid addiction, but really... I know i back up and say, I probably didn't have an addiction because I found out through my journey with opioids that I am not as responsive to opioids as most people are. I have some sort of a block. So rather than me taking you know one or two Vicodin, I was taking seven and eight Vicodin and still able to communicate, walk around, talk. I wasn't drooling in a corner. I had doctors put me on stuff that most people really couldn't survive taking two of. I was taking five, six, and seven of and getting no relief. So... You know, that old saying of, you know, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, I do truly understand what you and your family are going through, and it hurts because 20 years ago I recognized this. 20 years later, we're still battling now to take the patients off the battlefield.
1: Well, there's there's a lot of money in the pharmaceutical industry, and unfortunately, um, that's a big fight for for all of us. Um You know, you mentioned opiates, opioids. Most seizure medications are opiates. Correct. Rebecca's on uh, a a drug, a pharmaceutical called clobazam or Onfi. It's an opioid. It's a benzo. A couple of months ago, she started to have these terrible clusters of seizures. Now, somebody could have a seizure, um, it could last anywhere between five seconds and four hours. Right. Hers ranges go across the gamut. But about three or four months ago, she started having these clusters where she would seize for about 60 seconds. She then would stop. There would be a break for 30 seconds or a minute, then she would seize again for another minute. We have a protocol that we follow uh, at home with certain emergency meds. So what happened was, she started to have all of these clusters we know. Then we give her an emergency med called Diastat, which is diazepam. It's a benzodiazepine, like Valium and Xanax. She gets 20 milligrams of that,
0: but a, but, a, but a stronger one than Valium, correct? correct.
1: Very strong one, yes. and it's administered um, rectally for a, a immediate effect. And if that doesn't work, we then go for another one, and we can give her. I think believe it's 15 milligrams more. Now. That's it for us is what we can do at home. The reason being is all of these emergency meds affect the heart rate, blood pressure. So at home, you're not in a controlled environment like an ER where you can be intubated, et cetera. So we have to be very careful. But just to give you an example, uh, during this experience, we gave her 20 milligrams of the diazepam, then she got another 15. Then we called EMS because this was going on for a long time and we felt we needed medical attention. Then in the ambulance, they gave her Verset, which is midazolam. It's a drug usually used for anesthesia, for sedation. Then when she got to the hospital, they gave her Ativan, which is a brand name for lorazepam, which is another benzo. Think of this 90-pound 13-year-old getting all these drugs. Her seizures are still going on. We're now going into hour two. By hour three, they gave her 800 milligrams of Keppra in ER, which is a seizure medication. Sure,
0: which almost initiates a coma, right?
1: Wait. Then at hour four, she's still seizing. At hour four, they gave her another 800 milligrams of Keppra. Finally, by hour five, things stopped. And I tell this story because those kinds of clusters, what she experienced... We now try to handle a different way with cannabis.
0: And let's talk about that again. What, what made you, how did you hear about it? How did you find out about it? What triggered cannabis in your brain?
1: So what triggered cannabis in my brain was back in 2012, I saw a family in California who had, it was a dad. He has a son who has seizures. He had, has Dravet syndrome. And I became friendly with him. And he educated me on the benefits of cannabis and at the time, it was basically CBD, a high CBD, low THC You product. were communicating
0: with him how? Through, by phone? By phone? Or, okay, by gotcha. phone. Okay,
1: And that really started to pique my interest. How could there possibly be something out there that could help my child that mainstream medical professionals aren't aware of? And then as I learned more, I became more interested. So doing my homework, I came across a gentleman in Florida. This was back in 2012. Irv Rosenfeld.
0: Irv Rosenfeld.
1: And Irv Rosenfeld. who's was a hero to the industry, by the way. Exactly. I I call him my mentor Mm -hmm. because he really educated uh, me and my wife on cannabis. He came to our home, spent an enormous amount of time educating us. He was always there for us. And that's really how we got involved and started. And from there on, the rest is history.
0: Wow. So the first time you decided to, you know, Initiate the use of cannabis with Rebecca. How did she respond? Let's talk a little bit about that.
1: The first time uh, she used it, we were, we didn't know what to expect.
0: And what did you, were you using it in what form?
1: It was a tincture. Tincture? It was a tincture that she was getting either orally, because she really can't swallow that great, Um, but it was a tincture either orally or given through her feeding tube. Gotcha. And the one thing that we noticed at the time, that her seizures started to not occur as frequent as they they used to.
0: Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five? Probably about a, about week. a week. About a week.
1: About a week. And
0: this is after daily use? Correct. Because, again, I'm sure that Irv said it to you, and I'm sure that the gentleman that you talked to on the West Coast said it to you, that know, the body has to absorb a certain amount of this before you get a reaction.
1: Absolutely. Right. A- absolutely. Very similar to other medications. Correct. Um, so what we noticed was the seizure started to slow down, um, but also Rebecca's nonverbal. And we noticed Rebecca trying to verbalize, which now I know through many years of, of following this, children with autism who are nonverbal, who are using cannabis products with THC, not just CBD. Correct. A lot of very interesting things happen. And for Rebecca, she started to become more, tried to verbalize herself more than anything we've ever seen before. So there are a lot of different things that were happening when we started it. And then as, as many people know who started using cannabis before there was the research that we have available even today, how much do you give her, you know, dosing, dosing is the, has been the buzzword in the industry, you know, since the beginning. Sure. How do I know how much to take? And we did a lot of homework on that and every patient is different. Right, She might react totally different than a patient twice her weight right. or vice versa. So we just started out very slowly, you know, titrating up to a level that we started to see um, improvements. And you also have to be careful because if you titrate up too quickly with too much, you can have an adverse effect. Correct. So to this day, I will always say to patients, don't always go by what the doctors say especially a lot of these new doctors who are coming into the market who are ordering cannabis for their patients, most patients know more than a doctor. You have to be the best advocate you can be Certainly. for yourself.
0: Certainly. So you started titrating her up, and right now, I mean, what what, what is she on milligram-wise? or Can you
1: estimate? Right now, um, she is not on a THC product. Okay. She is strictly on a CBD product, and she's taking about... 200, 200 milligrams a day of CBD.
0: And that CBD, is it? Is it a isolate? Or no. Does it have terpenes in it? Does it have other cannabinoids in it other than the THC?
1: This particular uh, product that she's taking is Epidylex.
0: Okay, so she's on Epidiolex.
1: She's on Epidiolex. So
0: you went to the prescription level? Correct. Okay, but before she started Epidylex, what was she on?
1: She was on similar products uh, that were, we weren't giving her as much, as many milligrams of CBD as, as she's taking nowadays. Some of the children on Epidiolex are taking 800 milligrams a day.
0: Yeah, and I also noticed, again, Epidiolex is also a drug that is, again, a CBD isolate, which doesn't have some of the other cannabinoids in it. When we know for a fact that, you know, the person who even discovered this, who's Dr. Mishulam out of Israel, stated unequivocally that cannabinoids work best in an entourage effect. And so even if you're not using THC or even THCA, the other cannabinoids could probably have an equal and viable, you know, effect
1: of added in. Absolutely. So let, let me just share with you a little bit about why we're doing what we're doing. The issue that I see for a patient, I'll talk specifically for her. Yes. Without the medical research working with us on a continuous basis, it is very difficult for patients to really know what's working and not working, what's not working. What I mean by that is, I communicated with Dr. Mashula many years ago, and he brought up the same thing that you just mentioned, Montel. The problem is Rebecca has tried dozens—I don't even know how uh, many—at this point, different strains of, of CBD from around the world. It was all tested. We got the COAs for everything. But because we never knew exactly how her metabolism and how Rebecca was responding, it was very hard for us to gauge on an ongoing basis, is this working because of this? Is it not working because it doesn't have this? And to this day, that's where we are at. We are at a point right now that until the medical science could work with us, on a frequent basis, even the doctors who are, prescri- who are prescribing, because it's a pharmaceutical, Epidiolex, they do basic blood work. But are they going deep into the DNA and all the CBN and the CBN? No, they're not. So for us, it's going to be a continuous challenge to find a, a long-term solution that will truly help Rebecca and other patients with seizures because there's no med- true medical science geared towards that patient.
0: Got it. And it's got to be all patient-centric. You said, you know, a product that helps Rebecca and others. We may never find a product that helps Rebecca and others. We may find a product that helps Rebecca. Correct. And it could be a configuration of, you know, uh, of 60 of the 160 cannabinoids that have been identified to date. Uh, For her and another child that has a similar malady could get benefits from 20. Right. Or could benefit from 110.
1: Right. No. Ab- so, right. Ab- ab- absolutely. And I think until the day comes when patients could work with physicians where they're doing blood work, they're doing other metabolics on an ongoing basis, we will never know what truly works because you might never even titrate up to a level that could be effective. Right. What happens, what happens with a patient like Rebecca if she's taking... CBD. Let's not even use Epidiolex, but you're using CBD, a great strain, a great brand. It's, you you have all of the COAs behind it. You know what you're taking, but do I do a one-to-one ratio? How much THC should that patient get? How long will it take to titrate up to a level where we find a a good response? It's basically hit or miss. That's the frustrating part. And there's nobody to turn to, to say, you know what? I want my, my child or the patient to be part of a program and we want to do this the right way where we have a medical team behind us, we have data, we have metabolics, blood work, everything, so we can truly track on what is working and what's not working. There's no clear science behind it yet.
0: Right. And it doesn't look like on the horizon it's going to be there relatively quickly. I don't see, you know, at the end, though, there is research that's being done. And there's a lot of, you know, organizations claiming to be doing you know, irb research, they're really not doing research. It's, it's weird. You know, they get a CBD. Well, where did you get the CBD from? Is it hemp-based or is it cannabis-based? If it's cannabis-based, which strain did you get it from? Exactly. And then once you got that and you extracted out all the terpenes and you extracted out all the, all the fats and the lipids, could the fats and the lipids have been more, you know, uh, uh, efficacious? had they been there along with the CBD. And then along with the CBD, should you have had some, you know, THCA? Should you have had something to act as the catalyst to, to break the you know, mitochondrial wall? Correct. So, yeah.
1: And THCA, from what we've heard in different groups, you know, that is helpful for children with seizures. So
0: the CBG is helpful with children with seizures. And right. we know that CBG is what turns into THC and CBD.
1: But then, then the other thing, what we found out, and I can never prove it, and i don't even want to stand by this statement now but she tried co2 extracted cbd she tried butane she, tried- she shouldn't but- be doing
0: any butane right, whatsoever right, right,
1: exactly solvent based
0: no solvent based whatsoever <laughs> hexane no <laughs> I mean, I mean we, we know for a fact how deleterious that can be in the food manufacturing right. industry, right. leaving behind residuals. Exactly. And, you know, to me, let I me mean, tell you something. I, I I have been one of these proponents make a lot of people really angry, especially when I they hear me say that Motel's against uh, butane. Hell, yeah, I'm against butane. Right. I wouldn't walk out and put my mouth around the exhaust pipe of a car and suck in the air.
1: Exactly.
0: And I, you can't tell me that, you know, when you say, well, I've tested and I had it tested and it came out 250 parts per million. Really? So what makes you think 250 parts per million
1: is good when it comes to butane? So there's another process. Um, I, I forgot Cryoethanol? The, no, pressed, where it's like cold, yes. pressed, cold pressed. Cold pressed? Cold pressed. It's like, we never tried that. So if we tried a cold pressed CBD, different variation of CBD to THC, maybe that could help.
0: Or have you tried a nanoparticle?
1: haven't tried any nanoparticles.
0: So, you know, I mean, again, I understand and Again, this is what, you know, for our listeners out there, families that are going through this, that's why I want to do podcasts like this because it is so hard to navigate this space, especially when the viable information isn't even there, it doesn't exist, tests haven't been done, and then even the anecdotal isn't there.
1: And what happens if... You do find the right form, formulation or strain, et cetera, but then there, there are other contributing factors that could affect it. For example, your diet. Rebecca Correct. was on the ketogenic diet. Didn't do anything for her. Okay. But if you try something that works and then your diet consists of something that could counteract, well, it could have worked, but you know what? You were eating, the child or the patient was eating grapefruits. Correct. You know, grapefruits affect certain, certain um, medications. All of this needs to be tracked scientifically. Right. right. And it's very frustrating because nobody wants to get behind it.
0: But if we look at it from the bigger, I say from the bigger perspective, we know that cannabis has been used as a medical agent for over 5,000 years in whole plant form. So some of what I think we've got to do is get out of our own heads here. Where There's too many people trying to be pseudoscientists where you know it's the reason why we have close to you know 1000 2000 different strains you know if you go back in science we know for a fact that the cannabis plant marijuana plant started off with seven seven plants now you got thousands and those thousands are really all derivatives of those first seven so you know you can have what you go into a dispensary and you see 20 different strains that are sitting there. Those 20 different strains have been crossbred over the course of the last, and you know, in the United States of America in the 1960s and the 70s, we worked diligently to breed the CBD out of the plant. A lot of people don't know that. America is part of the reason why the plant has been as adulterated as it has been. Had you left it alone back in the early 60s, and I try to figure out that, you know, more THC, the more THC, the more THC we get, which no one can tell me that I don't care and I, I, I offer the opportunity for anybody to text me, shoot me a note, email, whatever you want to say. You can't tell me that you can tell the difference between something that is a 27% THC, a 21% THC, or a 14% THC. You can't, you're lying to yourself if you think you can. I know people who, and I remember myself that in my teenage years, smoking marijuana back in my teenage years and being higher than I have ever been in my life. And if you look at the plants that were available back then, they were never higher than about 12 to 13% THC. But absolutely blotto, you that's a term we used to use. Blotto completely obliterated by half a joint. Now, I find some stuff out here now, even if you're dabbing, even if you're using stuff in a crystalline form that supposedly is 29, 28, 30% THC, it's nowhere near the euphoria.
1: Right. And and I think it's also important to point out you mentioned earlier about how when using opiates, your body gets used to it, and it starts not to affect you. And I think it's very important for people to understand that when you're a medical marijuana patient and you have a real legitimate medical condition... Which is trying to
0: affect, stimulate, or antagonize your endocannabinoid system, but go right ahead. Correct,
1: correct. And when you start using marijuana with THC for medical reasons, the way your body is going to react is going to be totally different than an individual who doesn't have that medical condition. So for an example, somebody with um, a a severe medical, uh, let's say, pain condition, they could use an enormous amount of of marijuana daily with with high THC, let's say, to help treat their pain but they're not going to walk around euphoric all day like the person who had no pain. Correct. Right.
0: Because it is antagonizing that endocannabinoid system, trying to get that back into balance, and your body's figuring out what to do to make that happen. And over time, we also recognize the fact that, you know, there, there becomes an assimilation where, you know, you start your body starts to react to it differently at different levels. So you might, you know, start off, uh, and I've been using cannabis now for... You know, twenty years almost straight, daily, and I'm going to guarantee you that the way it affects me today is different than the way it affected me five years ago. I had a stroke a year and a half ago. The way it affects me now, post stroke, is entirely different than the way it affected me pre stroke. And I have to be very, very careful and very, very concerned about what it is I use on any given occasion. Especially if somebody walks up to me and says, "Hey, I I want to make. I heard you use cannabis here. Get to this." I wouldn't. I don't consume anything that I don't produce.
1: Exactly, myself. Because ma- many people don't realize that THC could affect your uh, heart rate, blood uh, absolutely. pressure, and people with heart conditions, and you know they're using a lot of THC, and it's yeah. you, you, got, you have to be real careful. And like you said, you have to know what you're getting and what you're putting into your body. That's the most important.
0: Well, I mean, what you've done for Rebecca has turned you into the advocate you are today. Correct.
1: Correct. Absolutely. If it wasn't for her. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you.
0: And talk a little bit about your position and what you do on the Broward County Medical Marijuana Advocacy Board.
1: So the Broward County Commission created a uh, Medical Marijuana Advisory Board for individuals who have either a business knowledge, a patient knowledge, um, a plant knowledge about medical marijuana, because that's what we have here in Florida. And the creation of it was to help educate and guide the community with policies guidelines and laws to implement policies and guidelines and laws that truly make sense in the best interests of the community and for us as a group uh, which is governed by the Broward County Commission it's really about education we've had two educational summits already we're having um, another one uh, down the road and The attendees of these groups, of these uh, summits that we have, are county commissioners, mayors, political figures. The last event that we had, the last educational summit, was first responders. So we had police chiefs, EMS people, mostly all EMS-related. And the questions that come up and the, the content that we provide them, they look at us like, wow, I never knew that. So you've you mentioned it a lot about education. We're trying to educate the community. Sure. <laughs>
0: education, education, education is the key. Now, now right now, Rebecca's re- responding, reacting again, but I'm looking at her, she looks like <laughs> she's just... She, she tired of being in the same spot? <laughs> okay.
1: She wants to take a little walk. Right? Yeah, she's, she's happy yeah, when she does she, that.
0: She looked happy, like she was, she was bothered. Um, but again... That's your day-to-day life.
1: Correct, 24-7. So when I get a a text from my wife, most of the time it's not how are you doing or how your day is going. It's Rebecca didn't go to school today with her nurse because she had two two four-minute seizures and I don't think she's up to it. Or if I call her or text her, the first thing I say is, how is Rebecca? Mm -hmm. Did she have a seizure? Did she have her breakfast? How is she? Is she, What state of mind is she in? 24-7. Doesn't right. end.
0: Right. And that advocacy you've now turned into helping other parents in the same situation. Talk a little bit about what you've done in terms of students. Because you literally had to make sure that Rebecca was able to utilize her medication in school, correct?
1: Uh, correct. Which, which she doesn't utilize it now. Uh, but when the Florida law passed that required count uh, school districts here in the state of Florida to provide a means of children to use their medicine at school. Uh, I had a conversation with the superintendent of Broward County public schools, Robert Runsey, who is a very um, incredible human being and supportive of children getting the things that they need, especially special needs uh, s- students. And since it was a Florida law, uh, I came in, I sat down with their uh, health policy um, leaders, along with some other professionals, and we drafted uh, guidelines and policy for Broward County Public Schools to allow children who are medical marijuana patients here in the state of Florida to have access to their medical marijuana medicine while at school. It doesn't mean, and under Florida law, it doesn't state that school employees, school nurses, are able to administer, which they can't under Florida law, but at least it gives a way for the parent or the caregiver to come into the school, if needed, and administer the medication to their child. The way Rebecca gets her medicine now, um, it's not required for us to come in to the school. Uh, also, the fact that she is has um, is using Epidiolex, which is an FDA-approved pharmaceutical. Right. That's okay.
0: And that's in the same category as any other pharmaceutical that any other child is using.
1: Exactly. And, and what's, what's really crazy about that, if you take the chemical makeup of a product, a pharmaceutical like Epidiolex, and you put it next to a CBD product, a high-quality CBD product, and there are many out there, it could be almost identical, right. but yet the Epidiolex could be administered by a nurse, but the CBD can't. Right. That's,
0: that's really absolutely ridiculous. Right. You know, it's just like, like uh, you know, again, I, I often talk about there's there are, are several pharmaceutical-grade krill oils in the marketplace. And then you can go to GNC and find a krill oil that's probably even better than some of the pharmaceutical-grade krill oils. Yet, I guarantee you that the same thing would happen. School couldn't give you the one that you bought at GNC, but they would give you the one that you buy from a doctor. It doesn't make sense to me.
1: That's why patients need to be their best advocate.
0: Absolutely, patients and their caregivers.
1: Correct, 100%. Right.
0: Talk a little bit about your company,
1: Hepogenics. So being involved in the understanding of hemp and how beneficial the the cannabis plant is and the hemp plant, mm-hmm. I thought, um, along with um, a partner of mine, uh, the, the benefits of the hemp plant and how there's a desperate need for topical pain products that fall into a category of over-the-counter drugs outside the scope of CBD, cannabis, which are all, well, especially cannabis is federally illegal. We wanted to create a product that not only truly worked, but was going to be readily available for individuals everywhere. They could buy it online, they could buy it in stores. And we created a product called Canonum. Mm-hmm. And Canonum is a federal trademark, uh, which is another whole conversation on what can and can't be done because you can't get a trademark for cannabis products. Uh, we were able to uh, get a trademark for canonum, and Canonum is a hemp-based lidocaine uh, product with other pain-fighting ingredients such as arnica, baswella extract, glucosamine, and uh, it's a roll-on product, and it works incredibly for, for pain. Got it. Similar to like a BioFreeze and Icy Hot, but mm-hmm. a lot better.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, and that's available all for of the States, online? How do yeah, people it's, get it? Um, Tell them right ahead. now,
1: there are select there are select retailers uh, that carry it. But if you go to cananum.com, you can purchase it. That's C-A-N-N-A-N-U-M-B. Mm-hmm. Uh, the num is for the lidocaine part. Uh, and we'll even give your listeners 20% off if they enter in coupon code Montel.
0: Oh, well, there you go. So there you go. Just hit <laughs> it right now. If you're, you're out there right now, you're listening to this podcast, make sure you go up on Cananum, enter in. You know, code name Montel, and you'll get 20% discount.
1: Exactly. Thank
0: you very much, sir.
1: No problem. I'm telling you, I
0: know my listeners will love that, love that. And uh, not only are you changing the way that cannabis-based products are being perceived, but you've also been working on some other legislation in your state, right?
1: Well, it's a never-ending process. Uh, Here in the state of Florida, Florida started out with five winners of a license, uh, there are now 22 license holders in the state of Florida. The industry has drastically changed over the last year. Some of these licenses were going for 60 to $120 million. A lot of things have changing because the companies that got in initially, one of the companies here in Florida, they have about 60, 60 to 70% of market share. So if you're coming into the state now trying to build a brand, it's becoming financially uh, very challenging uh so there are individuals and groups out there trying to change the laws trying to change the laws by constitutional amendments where more growers could be added more dispensaries could be added more more independent companies can get involved with the industry as well as there's a um amendment uh, out there uh regulate florida where it states that patients can grow their own up to a certain amount of plants there are two or three amendments here in florida so it's never-ending. Uh, unfortunately, many of the times the patient doesn't come out the winner.
0: Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's really weird to me, and, and, and I am not in any way, shape, or form against those who want to take the time to grow for themselves. But there are so many patients out here who don't have the dexterity, don't have the know-how, and don't have the time to sit back and grow your own. There should be a more legislation that allows for better availability
1: not only that there are there's a huge patient base out there that just can't afford it right you have many of the families that we know have children who have seizures they're on medicaid you have veterans who are on fixed fixed incomes so the cannabis that's available from florida dispensaries many people can't afford it Then they turn it to the black market. Exactly. And not only can't they afford the legal medicine from these dispensaries, they can't even afford the registration process that you have to go through to become a patient. For us, if I wanted to be a medical marijuana patient in Florida, I have to pay $75 for myself. But let's say I don't want to become a patient, and I just want to be a caregiver for my daughter. I have to pay $75 for me to become a caregiver then I have to pay another seventy-five dollars for my daughter, for her to have her card. So that's one hundred and fifty dollars a year. Now, many people might say, "Well, it's only one hundred and fifty dollars." There are a lot of families You're who can't yeah, afford correct. that. Absolutely. So, supposedly the legislature was going to address that at least for veterans. I heard possibly mm-hmm. that maybe they can they don't have to pay for a card, but. The whole process is very expensive, expensive for many. So I think there's a potentially huge population base out there of potential patients that can't even explore the benefits of cannabis because it's so expensive.
0: And, you know, some of us I think, some of these regulations were set up really so set up to fail. Correct. You know, it was, it was made so daunting that possibly people would turn away and then the entire industry would constrict the way it is constricting now.
1: Exactly. I just think there needs to be a better way for the folks who could truly benefit, who can't afford it, could have access. And unfortunately, we don't have anything like that. Um, there are some discounts that are applied if you're, if you're on food stamps. I know some dispensaries will offer a 10%, 15% discount. But I know a 91-year-old woman who truly saw the benefits of taking CBD, and she has to stop taking it because she can't afford the $100, $150 a month. Wow. Yep. Wow.
0: Wow. Talk a little bit about the special program that you developed with the Broward County Sheriff's Office so this is this is for EMS workers correct right? this correct. is for EMS. EMS so,
1: so. so uh, many years ago when when Rebecca seizure started to get really really bad for the first time uh, I think it was back in 2009 um, we would call 911 at least two or three times a week and every time they came they asked the same question what meds is she on how many milligrams? And if you're telling during, if your child is lying there on the floor, blue, not breathing, and an EMS um, person says to you, how many milligrams of their seizure medication, you could make a mistake and say 10 instead of 20, or 20 instead of 10, because you're in a moment of crisis. So I felt at the time, along with some other uh, BSO um, uh, leaders, there's gotta be an easier way that won't cost a lot of money and we created at the time, it's called the BECCA program. It stands for Broward Emergency Critical Care Assistance. And basically what it is, a very simple form that was created by EMS professionals where a parent can go online, download the form, write in the child's condition, write in all their meds, and that document you just print out and you can put it with the child's um, you know, backpack and uh, it's always on them at every given time. That way when there is an emergency, you pull it out. And it's right there.
0: Every question that the EMS was going to ask, they already have it. They already
1: have it, and you could update it.
0: That's absolutely – and that's already – has that been now put in place now here?
1: Yes, that's – it's available on the BSO website. You can download the form, and uh, many, many families and uh, schools are very well aware of it, and so is EMS. Wow, great. That's great. Seth, what
0: else are you working on?
1: Uh, Working on some potential uh, other products that are hemp-based that are really exciting that – We believe will be very new to the market and uh, the future looks very bright there's so much opportunity out there but i think it's very important for consumers patients to just be do their own homework and due diligence on the products they buy and the companies they get involved with Mm -hmm. it's very easy to get get caught up with products that might look good but or sound good but yet they don't really do what they're supposed to.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, and, and there's a lot of products out in this marketplace that we've now found out that have labels on them claiming to have CBD in them, and when you actually go and take a look at the research on them, and, and there's zero, or there's two or three milligrams. And, you know, we know that two or three milligrams does nothing.
1: Exactly, exactly, and there have been some lawsuits about that, and it's unfortunate, Montel, because there are some good companies uh, he- here in Florida that are producing some really great quality product and unfortunately, when they come across um, very zealous news reporters who are just trying to n- n- not make them look good, as as, as good as they should, uh, some of the testing is flawed, so you're not getting true results. And unfortunately, those good companies that are making these good products are getting a bad rap right. for there's so much chaos in the industry right now, and everyone's tr- still trying to sort it out. Uh, edibles right now, we all know. Um, federally, the FDA hasn't come out clearly with guidelines on edibles, mm-hmm. but yet you see edibles everywhere. Right. Consumers don't know that they're technically not legal according to the feds, but they're everywhere.
0: But then state laws, and again, that's part of the issue that dealing with it, you know, right now with 34 states in the district of Columbia that have some form of medical marijuana or marijuana law, and every one of the states is different. So whether the feds you know, agree with edibles or not, the state law will allow them but then the state law doesn't do anything to supervise or oversee the production of.
1: Correct. And then if you see a product made in one state, uh, but, you know, if you see a product from Florida and it's in California and it's inedible, you know, supposedly, according to the FDA, you can't cross state lines. Correct. That's against the
0: law. So, therefore, whether the product was shipped in or it is a fake product. Right. And, you know, I often say to people that, you know, unfortunately, the way we have to navigate this space right now is you can't assume that a product that you saw the brand name of in California, and now you see the same brand name in Ohio, it may not be the same product.
1: Who's policing it?
0: Yeah, who's policing it? And then technically, technically, it can't be by law the same product. So therefore, unless you know that the manufacturer of the California product has now set up shop in the other state to manufacture in that other state based on cannabis that they grew in that state, which when it all starts in a new state, there shouldn't be any cannabis in that state. Right. So therefore the seeds came from somewhere. They didn't just appear. That's one of the things that, that cracks me up is that no one asks where does seed come from.
1: Right. And, and also a lot of, uh, in the food industry, you know, in restaurants, you know, I've seen a lot of restaurants pop up. You know, put CBD on your pizza, in your milkshake. Who, who's getting the raw right end of the deal? The, the consumer. They're paying right. more for something. They don't even know if they're getting it. Correct. And two, if you take, if you're paying ten bucks extra for CBD on your pizza, and you're getting twenty-five milligrams of CBD on that pizza, is that I really? How about, I
0: about <laughs> you're only getting one milligram of CBD on that pizza? Did that do anything for you?
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I f- I feel good. I feel mellow from this slice. You don't
0: feel mellow from nothing. It's all in your brain. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, and it, it cracks me up too because again, you know, people don't even understand that some of these edible products, you know, people claim to put CBD in them, then they bake them for three hours, two hours, an hour and a half. You just baked all of the viable medical ingredient of that product out.
1: Exactly. You overheated
0: it, and it's gone.
1: And, and you know, in all fairness, I think that's a good thing where there is regulation because there does need to be some sort of regulation for these type of ingredients. This
0: entire industry should applaud the opportunity for regulation. Absolutely. We need to figure out a way to make sure that there is a consistent product that every time a person reaches for it, they get the same reaction from that particular I don't care if you got 7 million different products, but I know that if I get, you know, product number 5,162, 1,162, that product will elicit the same response every time I touch it.
1: And That's also many of, the, may, many of the, the manufacturers and the people selling these products don't even know what they're selling.
0: Correct. Some of them, I, again, so yeah, I, I look at it and, and wonder, you know, the same people who 10 years ago were so adamantly against cannabis now have jumped in to see if they can be part of the industry to make money in the green
1: rush. I got, I got a phone call a couple of weeks ago from a doctor. A doctor calls me up cold. He said he's new to the cannabis industry in Florida. And the first thing he said to me is, I think your daughter needs more CBDs in her body. I'm like, okay, thank you. Have a nice day. Yeah, have so a nice day. more CBDs.
0: Yeah, yeah, you need CBDs uh, this, in your right. body, yeah i got to say thank you so much to Mr. Seth Hyman for being here. And, again, the company is called uh, Hempogenics. And how can people, again, go up on your website, give them the information?
1: Just go to canonum.com. That's canonum.com. And on checkout, enter in Mattel, and you will receive 20% off your order. And that will be good through the end of February.
0: Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. You heard it. end of February. And if somebody you know, is listening and understands because their family has been going through something similar to you with a child that may have the same kind of malady. Can they reach out to get any information from you? Absolutely. Or is, where should they go there for that?
1: Absolutely. They can go to the hempagenics or the canonum.com uh, okay. website. And there is a link on contact us or it's info at hempagenics.com and feel free to reach out and we will respond to every question and Speak to the patients and speak to consumers. Uh, we're, we're there to help.
0: That's what we want to do is be there to help you. And I can't say thank you enough again, Seth, for being a part of today's show. And you know what you got to do at home. Make sure you tune into to every single episode of Let's Be Blunt with Montell, But thanks for tuning in today. Have a good one.
1: Thanks, man. Thank you, sir.